In Lingua Podcast live from Dessau is broadcast from Mitteldeutschland and features all things languages. The show is hosted by our teachers, presenting students and guests from all walks of language learning experiences. And welcome to Enlingua Podcast live from Dessau. Uh, hello, nice to be here on the other side of the world, albeit. Alex, we met in Dessau as colleagues at Enlingua. Did you speak German before you arrived in Germany? Uh, I had some basic knowledge of German. Uh, I studied uh, for a couple of years in school. I took German at GCSE level um, and probably left school able to order myself food in a restaurant. Um, I then met uh, my, my ex-girlfriend who was German at university. And um, for the two years before I moved to Germany um, because of uh, being motivated by her, I, I started self-studying. Um, so I never had any lessons, but I, I think when I arrived in Germany, I was probably a, a low B1 already. Okay. Yeah, why did you come to Germany? Uh, so I was, I was always, uh, really interested in, in, in moving abroad and especially when I had finished my studies, I, I graduated with, a, with an English and linguistics degree mm-hmm. and, uh, teaching just seemed like a, a, a really sensible and, and beneficial way to, uh, to kind of make that dream a reality. Um, I, I originally wanted to, to come to Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Kind of always my always my goal, um, and in many ways Germany was a, a bit of a kind of side quest and was like a, a distraction that lasted that lasted like three years. But um, yeah, it was it was a, a wonderful decision, and I feel I feel good having made that smaller step before I made the larger step to come to the other side of the world. Okay, so what kind of advantages did that small step give you? Hmm. Um, I think, I mean, moving to, moving to a new country is a very daunting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially in, in my case, um, when I when I came to Vietnam, I, I knew literally zero people. Okay. Um, and it it was, I think, moving to moving to Dessau was obviously a little easier because I, I had a couple of contacts um, in the country at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing I learned was just to just to try and like expand that that social circle and and start start doing the things that you're interested in doing as soon as you can as soon as you arrive okay um, I think my, my first year in Dessau I was maybe maybe a little bit lazy um, I, I, I I refrained from sort of pursuing my my passions in favor of maybe just relaxing a bit too much um, but then once I started, engaging in sports and, and trying to play, play, play music with people, then it really opened up the experience and made it a lot more enjoyable. So I think when I arrived in Vietnam, I was able to do that much, much quicker. Okay. As a consequence, two years later, I, I feel I'm in a much kind of stronger um, sort of social and also mental position than I was after two years in Dessau. Okay. So, as I recall, you have a CELTA certification, right? Yes, correct. Yes. So, having a CELTA certification and sort of learning these types of new methodologies and teaching practices that you can incorporate into your classroom teaching, like, did you also use similar methods in teaching yourself German? Because you never had a German course, right? Right. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting uh, an 
interesting point. Um, I think my, my, my philosophy on language learning is, 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 is all about motivation. Okay. Um, I, I know people who, who, who really have a very loose grasp of how language works, but if they've immersed themselves in a culture that they're interested in for long enough, they can achieve a level of proficiency that is perfectly fine for, for their environment and for their, for their life. Um, I, I think the CELTA in itself is a lot about um, planning and classroom management more so than actual language learning methodology. Okay. Um, and and when, it, when it comes down to, to actually um, learning new bits of vocabulary, um, I think with, with any language, it's, it's just cramming. It's just memory and recall and reminding yourself of a new word as soon as you learn it and five minutes after you learn it and 10 minutes after you learn it. Um, and that's your ability to do that stems from your, from your motivation to, uh, to interact with people from that culture and from that language. So how important was it for you to be in Germany to practice the language, to increase your proficiency? Oh, essential. I mean, I used to, um, I, I lived in a, um, what do they call them? Uh, you, you probably know the German word even. Oh my uh, God. You uh, lived in a shared flat, right? I remember your apartment. Yeah, what do they call them? A Wohnung, a WG, a WG. A WG, uh-huh, that's right. I lived in a WG, yeah, I haven't said that word in a long time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I was able to invite everyone in the VG around for dinner, and I would I would have a little notepad all the time, and any words I didn't recognize, I would uh, I would jot down. Um, but yeah, it was certainly an advantage, especially living in the in the east of Germany, where mm-hmm. where and, and in a town like Dessau, when you consider that um, maybe English proficiency isn't quite as good in the east as in the west. Right, and also that it's not as good amongst the older generation, and as we both know, Dessau is is um, weighted towards uh, <laughs> elderly elderly it's, people. I think it's well. the oldest population by, I think in Dessau in in, in Germany, yeah. right? The oldest. I remember. I thought I read in Europe at one point, but maybe, maybe that's not true anymore. I'm not sure. Yeah. And then that's it. I didn't have any contact with. I didn't have much contact with people you know, my own age in their mid twenties or, or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those people who, who would speak English would move away to Berlin or Leipzig or other cities in Germany. Right. Um, so, you know, I made great friends with their, with their parents <laughs> essentially and cooked them all dinner. And <laughs> um, that was how I learned German. Yeah. So what did you find particularly challenging about learning German? You know what? After two years of le- learning Vietnamese, nothing. <laughs> I wish I wish I could learn German again. It, um, Has your German? Have you lost some proficiency skills? Or I, I would say so because I, I'm not using it anywhere near as regularly. But I I think I think a few days in Germany would come back. It would mm-hmm. come back pretty well. Um, I I still have, I have a few German friends here. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've been trying to watch a few German series on. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I definitely have a very analytical um, sort of understanding of, 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 of language, of language learning, but that, that comes definitely more from my degree than the CELTA. Okay. Um, the, the, the CELTA helps, but, but studying linguistics, you spend two years learning of it, what, what is syntax? What is morphology? What is semantics? How do these interact? Um, and it, it, it just makes it so much easier when you when you come to you come into a language like Vietnamese. It's a, it's a tonal language. They have um, five tones here, depending on the on the region of Vietnam that you're in. And um, when you come in with that understanding that okay, ma is a different word from ma, okay. and, and you can actually understand that and, and and consider that when you're listening to someone speak um, it it makes it a lot a lot easier okay and, um, yeah yeah so before we get into Vietnamese one last mm-hmm. question about learning German Bitte. <laughs> <laughs> 
What tips would you give someone starting out in learning German or any other language for that matter? Like what, what tips could you give them? My main tip um, goes back to what I, what I said before. For me, it's, it's, it's about motivation and memory. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's all it is. You can, you can motivate yourself by trying to interact with that language as much as possible. Of course, everyone knows watching, watching films, reading books, all of those things are incredibly helpful, um, not only for learning new words, but also for, uh, for motivating yourself to learn the language and, and giving, I remember when I was learning German, I would so often like visualize myself having a conversation that was at the time beyond me, beyond my language proficiency. Okay. You're always like, oh, imagine if I could talk about this and I could talk about this. Um, and then it just comes to creating the, the, the space where you, where you can interact with that language or interact with those people. Um, like I was saying about inviting people over for dinner, it was really just a ruse. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then it's, it's, all about, it's all about memory. Um, I learn a new word. I remind myself five seconds later. I remind myself a minute later, two minutes later. By the end of the day, I've done that a few more times, and it's in. And it, it won't. Okay. Yeah, unless so, I move to another country for two years, forget. Okay. So motivation is important, and learning a foreign language, right? You are now living in Vietnam. What is motivating you to learn Vietnamese? Yes. So um, that is definitely the main difference between my my Vietnamese and my German. Was Germany, was it always going to be a transient country to you, do you think? No. Okay. No, and, and I could certainly see myself moving back there in the future. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So back to Vietnamese, like what, what's the main motivating factor? Are you, are you planning? I, yeah, okay. Um, I, I think... Um, my Vietnamese is now at a point where I can very, I can very comfortable, comfortably deal with my environment. Okay. So I can, I can happily uh, tell someone how to navigate to my house or, um, you know, I can, I can order food. I can go to the supermarket. I can ask where something is. Like I said, I'm around that sort of A2, B1, mm -hmm. uh, low A2, A2 level, solid A2 level. Um, I actually had a very bit of a tangent. I had a very motivating um, chat. I, I was I was speaking to a friend of mine who was still in Dessau last year, mm -hmm. and she went to visit the um, the the Imbis, the Vietnamese Imbis. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I had a, like a little chat to the guy <laughs> to the guy behind the counter in Vietnamese. Um, and then we get to the point where my Vietnamese runs out, and then and then he switches to German, and then we talk in German for a bit, and he's like, oh. So you're German, and I'm like, oh no, I'm I'm English. And like, oh, I feel so, <laughs> feel so praised. Did you, right did you order something for her, <laughs> your friend? <laughs> I think she ordered first, and then and then just gave her phone to the guy behind the counter. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's um, long. Going back to my 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 motivation for for learning Vietnamese, um, I'm at a point now where I'm comfortable with my environment and learning learning beyond this point is is more about creating those social relationships um, okay. so I can think of a, of a couple of people um, for example my girlfriend's mom who doesn't speak any English and I would love to be able to communicate with her better mm -hmm. um, so so that's that's a big motivating factor um, and also I guess there's a, a sort of professional um, drive there as well especially with it being so rare that uh, foreigners can can speak Vietnamese here mm -hmm. can be a real advantage um, it's it's kind of the the key to a management position here okay um, you, you don't you wouldn't you wouldn't have a, a head of English who, who can only speak English in Vietnam um, and those those foreigners that come here or those you know, native English speakers that also have have a proficiency in Vietnamese are, are very, very sought after. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, that's, that's the main difference. My, my drive for learning Vietnamese is a little bit more external as in it's, it's, it's based on, um, it, it's based more on my work as opposed to, to German. I, I didn't, I didn't need German to, to work, but okay. um, 
I, I, I just really enjoyed speaking it for the, for the social side of things. That was more, more, much more internal motivation. Okay. So that, so that you talk about work, like what exactly are you doing there? Uh, so at the moment I'm working for a, for a small IELTS center. Um, but mostly, mostly adults, some teenagers, um, more often than not, they're working towards um, university entrance exams, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I've been there now for just under a year. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about going back to, to teaching children. Um, okay. when, I first, when I first arrived here, I, I had a really nice time. I, 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 taught, I taught a variety of classes. I, I wanted to, to try different age groups and different levels. So I taught like a kindergarten class. I taught like a, some, some of young adults. And, um, and I think I'm at a point now where I, I want to work towards uh, like an international school or a, a bilingual school, sort of that slightly higher level. Okay. Um, and um, probably I think my preferred age group be around primary, so around like seven to nine years old. Okay. I think is, is where my, yeah, the, the sort of the age I had the best rapport with, I think. Okay. And can you tell our listeners what exactly is the IELTS test? Like, what is that? Uh, the IELTS test is a internationally uh, recognized uh, English test um, that tests all four of your skills. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's commonly used for uh, university entrance exams or for um, in some cases even uh, immigration tests and that sort okay. of thing. So um, it's a, a lot of people just do an IELTS test so that they can say, "Oh, I have an IELTS seven point five or whatever." It, it looks great on a CV, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of for a lot of people, it's it's actually a very useful um, certificate to have. So are are you now teaching mostly like? teenagers that are looking to go to university abroad yeah that's that's a pretty high proportion of the, of the students yeah i'd say about half of them are, uh, are teenagers um the company also runs uh we have some contracts with uh, larger companies more similar to what i did in dessa to what you mm -hmm. do at Inipa. right and um, so recently i did well not so recently last summer i did a course with the institute of financial training here Okay. Um, so essentially, I was I was there about four or five hours a day, five days a week, um, teaching um, civil servants. Okay. Um, so usually, those people would um, travel to other countries, so the the government would pay for them to go and, and study abroad. But obviously, with um, COVID travel restrictions this year, they decided to um, to just hold it in Hanoi. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the language landscape in Vietnam. How many languages are spoken there? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, so unlike a lot of other Southeast Asian countries, Vietnam is not that homogenous. And um, there are lots of ethnic minorities here. And I think the official count is 27. Um, and those people, although they generally have proficiency in, in, in Vietnamese, um, they often have their own, um, their own uh, regional dialects or, or even languages that are more closely related to the languages of Thailand, Cambodia, and Laos. Okay. And um, so often in these border towns, they, they, they speak a variety that's, that's very, very different. Um, I mean, the main thing you have to consider is that Vietnam is it's a huge country. It's a country of 97 million people. Mm -hmm. I believe that I think the 14th largest in the world in terms of population. And geographically, it's very split. It's a very long country, um, a lot like Chile. Um, and there are, there are two mega cities. There's Hanoi up here in the north, mm -hmm. which has 10 million people or so. And there is Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City in the south. Um, and they are separated by, I'm not sure exactly how long it is, but around, around 1,500 miles um, and it's very thin in the middle. So th there's there's a lot of difference between the, the dialects of Hanoi and Saigon. Okay. Um, the, to the point where you even have a different number of tones. One of one of the tones that they use in Saigon is just not, it. you can't hear the difference in a Hanoi accent. That's interesting. Can you give us another example of 
the tones? Like you said, ma and ma. Like, can you can you explain? Yes. <clears throat> can you give us a different example of something that? Uh, I, I I mean, I, I have to say, I'm 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 really no I'm really no expert when it comes to Vietnamese tones. I still I still can't produce them perfectly. Sometimes, for example, a word like uh, chung is with a when an uptone we call it a sac. Uh -huh. um, so that means that the the vowel in the middle of the word the the tone goes up as okay. you say it. So, um, chum would be the flat no tone, mm -hmm. and then chum would be with the rising tone. So they're spelled identically, right? But they have different symbols to indicate different intonations. Exactly. Yeah. So Vietnamese uses the Latin alphabet, but there's with with diacritics. Yeah. Okay. What is diacritics? Uh, like you said, little little squiggles on the signs. That's a um, linguistics word that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does chung? What does it mean? <laughs> uh, chung is egg. <laughs> <laughs> and what is chung? Uh, chung. Um, I don't know, but I see it written everywhere. Okay. <laughs> So I, I think it might. I'm going to take a stab. I'm going to guess that it means something like flavor. Wait, say it again. What was it? I think it might mean flavor. Or ah, flavor. Like I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure. So I chung, might chung, egg flavor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chung, uh, well, it's, it's post adjectival. Um, um, it's post adjectival. What do you call it? The, the adjective goes after the noun. So the adjective chung, goes after chung. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, it's interesting, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it's challenging. So, like, how are you learning Vietnamese? Okay, obviously your your partner is Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. Are you reading books, grammar books? Are you watching like videos online? Are you watching television? Like, what's how are you? What are the kind of methods are you using to improve your skills? Mm. Um, whenever there's a, a Vietnamese TV show on. Um, I'm watching it. Okay. I, I, I'm not. I'm. I'm not watching it by choice. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if I go to someone's house and it's on, then I, I will sit there and listen and try and pick up what I can, and maybe even ask if they can put the subtitles on. Okay. Uh, so pick up a few words that way. Um, What's most. Typical, <clears throat> what What is a typical like program that you would watch? Are we, are we talking like a, a game show or a talk show or? Oh, um, there, are, there are good dramas. There are so many very bad dramas. You don't have to. You don't have to speak the language to know that the acting is bad. Okay. Um, there's, there's so many of those here, and there's <laughs> when you go to um, mo most of the most of the shops here. Um, so they have like a hang tapwa. It's like um, I guess kind of what you would call like a spiti in Germany. Okay. So just like someone's shop where they'll sell cigarettes, alcohol snacks that sort of thing yeah. and whenever you're in one of those there'll be someone watching one of these dramas on a tv <laughs> sometimes go in and i'm like oh yeah i'll take the take this i'll take this and oh, what, what are you watching now and just like, try and get an idea of the plot um yeah but mostly I, I, similar to germany i would say most of my vietnamese um studying is, is based around food okay it's around the kitchen or not so much the kitchen here. I, I eat out a lot more than I did um, in Germany just because it's it's so cheap to do here. And, okay. And there's so much great food everywhere. And it, it, it's a really great social event to, to go out for like a, a hot pot or, um, you know, sort of big communal meal. Um, that's where I learn a lot of my Vietnamese. Okay. <clears throat> so you're mostly going out. So the cost of living is, or the quality of life, like how is yeah, your quality? <clears throat> um, I mean, this was actually something I, I wanted to touch upon when we, we were going to talk about my hometown. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the, the price that I pay for my, I would say I live in absolute luxury here in terms of the, the, the part of town that I live in and the, mm -hmm. the house that I have and the, the space that I have is, is fantastic. Um, and it's, it's, it's cheaper than, than a, a single bedroom. Yeah, that I could, that I could okay, afford. so can I ask, can I ask that question? Like how, how many, 
Like how many square meters is your apartment and how much are you paying for rent? Oh, um, okay. I don't, I don't know how many square meters my apartment is, um, but I did strike pretty lucky with my place. So I've lived in the same place for two years. Okay. The whole time I've lived in Hanoi. Um, the house belongs to the ambassador to India. <laughs> Interestingly. Yeah. The Vietnamese <laughs> ambassador to India. Um, so he lives in India. He built this house about 20 years ago, but he's okay. been living in India for the past 10 years. Um, and it's it's a shared house. Mm-hmm. So we have we have eight bedrooms here, but it's it's huge. It's a mansion. Um, it has it has a big garden. It has a pool out front. Um, <laughs> and my my room my room is is enormous. It's it's ridiculously enormous, and it has like a pyramid roof. So like it's like five meters up to the, to the ceiling. Um, and I pay, I mean, I, I, I pay with bills included, I pay around $350 US dollars. Yeah. So your, your uh, Vietnamese vege is much better than your German vege. My German vege was pretty good. Uh, to be honest, I, I, I think I probably paid a little bit less than that, even in Dessau. It okay. wasn't quite as um it wasn't quite as high quality but it was a very like charming beautiful house that i lived in in Dessau. yeah i don't remember you when, having a swimming pool <laughs> no i didn't have a swimming pool but when i compare both of them to to the living conditions mm-hmm. in the uk and what what a renter can afford in the, in the uk then then both of them just blow it out the water i i remember paying I remember paying 500 pounds so around 600 us dollars okay. at the time for for a single room in a five bedroom house with nine other people living there, and rats running through the kitchen. Um, some parts of the UK are, are just crazy and the, the, you can, you get very little, little bang for your book as a renter. So what does a typical weekend look like for you after, after working all week? Like how do you normally relax on the weekends? Uh, so I actually run a, a weekly uh, music event here. Okay. Um, like I said, Hanoi, oh, well, the whole of Vietnam hasn't really suffered from COVID. We haven't had the same restrictions that they've had in the lot of the rest of the world. So we've really luckily been able to do that since uh, September. I think we started. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's every Friday night, and that's it's gaining quite a lot of traction. We're getting getting quite popular. We're filling the bar most weeks. So that's really really good way to start the weekend um saturday saturday i always spend with my girlfriend it's her early day off and so she uh, she runs a restaurant mm-hmm. um, from from her home sort of mostly mostly takeout okay um, but like with a small seating area and saturday is her day off or the day where she she gives the reins to her to her family and okay lets them do all the work is that how you <clears> met you went in for a bite to eat uh no we met in a bar actually okay what kind of music are you playing um you know what i have an answer for this on call because because we we've just like made a trying to build our social media presence um we at our hardest we're we're punk we're punk, and at our softest we're maybe folk or jazzy folk okay yeah so you mentioned uh, Corona. Mm. Vietnam has been praised for its Corona action plan. Is there something in the culture that has enabled this? Mm. Why have the numbers been so low? I, I think that's a really, it's a really interesting question as to, as to whether culture has anything to do with it. Um, and I think the short answer I have to give is no. Okay. There's, there's nothing that, that Vietnam did that another country in the world couldn't have done. Um, So what did they do? Yeah. um, So for a bit of context, Vietnam was one of the worst hit countries by the SARS epidemic Mm -hmm. um, 10 years ago. Okay. And since then, since then they, they, they put in a plan to to deal with any future pandemics. Um, So when the, when it was first announced as an epidemic in in Wuhan, um, Vietnam is actually the first country to stop international flights from Wuhan. Okay. um, And to test people uh, for for flu symptoms. This is before a reliable COVID test had been developed. So we were testing people for flu symptoms when they came into the airports. We were quarantining anybody that 
were suspected of having symptoms. Um, the we share a I think eight hundred mile border with with China that was mm-hmm. totally closed. The land border was totally closed. Right. Um, and Vietnam's objective has always been to to have zero cases. Um, so that the preparing for, for for COVID started here before COVID even got here. Okay. Um, that's the key, and it, it's all been. It's been it's been contact tracing. It's been on the effort of, of the government to find every single person that they suspect might have the disease, and to sort of close every infection loop and find every person within within those loops. Um, the um, the the effort that they've put into um, to to quarantine, to making sure that people people are, are, are treated. Basically, any any COVID treatment here is is totally free. Okay. Um, if you if you were to fly into the country right now, which you can do, and um, you will be put into a two week quarantine in a hotel, mm-hmm. um, you would you would be fed, you'd be you'd be looked after. You have to pay for it, but um, okay. Yeah. So when is the last time you had to wear a mask? Mandatory. So in the last year, we've had three outbreaks in Vietnam. Um, one was was around the start of the whole thing. So last February or March. Uh-huh. Um, and as soon as a case was identified in Hanoi, um, there was a, a citywide mask mandate was brought in. Um, I will say that, and this does touch upon culture, um, Hanoi is a very polluted city. Okay. And um, for that reason, most people wear masks a lot of the time when they're outdoors anyway. Okay, already. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it it wasn't like you had you had people protesting saying they couldn't breathe because we all know that you can breathe better with a mask on. <laughs> <laughs> so pre-COVID, were you wearing a mask when you walked? Do you walk to work or do you, are you biking? Like, how are you going? I'm on a I'm on a motorbike and um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm usually wearing a mask. Yeah. Okay. On the on the like on the on the roads at least yeah when you're driving you want to be wearing one yeah is it dangerous to ride a motorbike there for you or no um I certainly know people who've been involved in accidents um I've actually had a friend die already since coming here two years ago okay um so I I know another guy who lost his leg yeah. It's definitely uh, riding a motorbike here is pretty dangerous. Um, one thing I will say is that I think it was last January, January 2020, um, mm-hmm. they brought in a new law in Vietnam, revolutionary, don't drink, drive. <laughs> Honestly, they I, I can't remember the statistic exactly, but they it was something like 40% fewer uh, fewer road-related deaths in like the week after they brought in this this new law. The way they basically it was already a law, I think, but they they gave the police breathalyzers and actually gave them the ability to enforce the law and give fines to people who didn't obey it. Okay, I do a lot of I do a lot of driving out outside of the city. Um, like I said, the city's pretty polluted, and it's mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to to get out on a weekend. Um, and you only have to drive maybe an hour or so. You can get to some nice lakes or some mountains. Okay. It's really not that far to, to go out into the country. And then the, the roads here are phenomenal. It's a very mountainous country. Mm-hmm. It's a very wet country. Um, there's just the, the landscapes here are absolutely stunning. Rice paddies built into, into mountain sides, winding roads and sunsets everywhere you go. It's, yeah, it's really fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. It really does. Could you give our listeners a couple of cultural tips who are planning to visit Vietnam in the future? Some do's Ooh. and don'ts. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah. So I, I, I thought about this question a little bit, and a lot of the a lot of the do's and don'ts I can think of are based around superstition. Okay. The Vietnamese people are, are pretty superstitious, and a lot of those superstitions have to do with death. Um, okay. So, for example, it's um, uh, a lot of people here are Buddhist, mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of people who who maybe aren't even Buddhist still follow some some Buddhist traditions. Okay. So one of those, for example, would be um, in most houses in the highest point in the house, you have 
like a shrine. Mm-hmm. Um, and once a month, uh, based on, a, on the like the Chinese Vietnamese lunar calendar, um, you will have uh, you will make offerings to your to your deceased ancestors. Okay. <clears throat> Um, and one of the things that you do is you burn incense, incense sticks, and they sit upright. Um, and this is why any, anything that sort of sits upright in this sort of configuration is, is considered a, a sign of death. Okay. So, for example, if you're, if you're eating rice and you put your chopsticks in the top of the rice, then that's, that's a sign of death. That's a definite don't. <laughs> You absolutely can't put your chopsticks on, on top of your rice. You have to put the chopsticks down by the side. Okay. And if you do that in a restaurant, uh, the waiter or someone from another table will come over and take your chopsticks out. Okay. And put, put them on the table. They're very serious about that one. Um, a lot of the... Uh, one really nice do that you can do here... Mm-hmm. Um, is when you when you pay someone for something, mm-hmm. you always hand the money over with two hats. Okay. Um, I, I think I think both of those things are actually uh, universal across across Asia, across Southeast Asia, um, and it, it's seen as a, a sign of respect. You're you're putting more effort into the to the handing over of the money. Okay. Um, a lot of times you'll see if people have their hands full and they can't quite do it with two hands, they will they'll do it with one hand and they'll touch a part of their hand to the arm that's giving the money okay so that's all sort of connected it's not just you would never just put the money down on a table it's considered quite rude here right um yeah um always look both ways when you cross the street (laughs) um (laughs) people don't really traffic doesn't really move the ambulances here either it's it's okay. it's yeah it's very strange that the, the road is a wild wild jungle. Um, in terms of dues, uh, talk about you, you can be expected with any Vietnamese person, um, whether you're speaking Vietnamese or or English with them, that they will want to know your age, your relationship status, okay, uh, whether you have, whether you have children. Those are the those are the key factors. Um, a big reason for that is that uh, Vietnamese has a, like an honorific system sort of baked into its into its pronoun. So the, the Vietnamese word for you mm-hmm. or for I is dependent on our relative ages and our gender and our positions. Ah, okay. Uh, I mean, the same way that I, mean, I think it is in Japanese is okay. similar. So I would, uh, you're, a, you're a, a, a man who's more than five years older than me, so I would call you Ang. Okay. And what um, would I call what would I call you? Uh, you would call me M. M? M. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, perhaps if I was your teacher, mm-hmm. you would you would call me Ko. Ko. Mm, it's like teacher. Um, and some of my students decide to use that and some of them will just use Ang or M depending on, on, our, on our age difference. Um, yeah so so you kind of need to know that that basic bit of information you need to know right are they male or female and are they older or younger than me so how much older how much younger in order to just build a basic sentence okay it's not like with german where you can just use the passive and avoid saying z okay you know you can avoid saying do or z just use the passive but in vietnamese you can't you 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 can't build a sentence without those pronouns okay it's it's essentially impossible um yeah and people care so much about um about children and and relationships I, i i still don't really understand it but i know that i'm 29 now and to most vietnamese people that's pretty old to not be married and have three children and i'm told that all the time yeah so yeah. your partner, mm-hmm. you said her family is running the, the cafe, right? Uh, or she, she and her family are working together in the cafe? It's, it's her family home, but mm-hmm. it's her business, which she founded from the home. Okay. So they, they, they opened up their, um, their sort of own dining room and kitchen and turned it into a restaurant and then they have they still have the floors above as their private home, but the bottom part is now is now a business when they're open. Okay. So that's very common to, to have here. 
and and also it lends itself quite well. The, the structure of the houses lend themselves very well because they're they're very thin and very tall. Mm-hmm. So often people have this ground floor business, or they rent it out to another business, and people live in the flats above. Is it like home cooked meals? Uh, yeah, she cooks uh, sort of Vietnamese Western fusion food. Uh-huh. Uh, what did I have from her yesterday? Yesterday I had like a Korean Korean barbecue chicken. Okay. Um, I've had uh, uh, she does like a really nice coconut curry, beef stew. Nice. Uh, yeah, home homely meals. Um, and the, the the sort of gimmick of the restaurant is that it's called Rainbow Rice. Okay. So the rice is served in not seven, but four different colors. <laughs> and one of them's black. I, I really, I'm not sure if she understands what a rainbow is, but it's a good gimmick. So it's four different colors of rice. Yes. Black. Brown. brown. Uh, the, the black one is the brown one. It's okay. like a, a it's, yeah, I think it's brown rice with some sort of natural black coloring. Uh, there's black, blue, yellow. Unless it's in front of me, I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> well, a it, but Rainbow Rice Cafe sounds fantastic. Yeah, that sounds good. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. She's a, she's a great chef, and she's actually hoping to do sort of the shelter of cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, so she's she's doing a, an internationally recognised uh, cooking course that potentially means she could live and work in another country in the future and find a job in a in a hotel restaurant or okay, like, like mm-hmm. what does the future hold for Alex? It sounds like, like you, said. yeah. It sounds like you are very comfortable, and you know you've met someone there, and it's mm-hmm. you know it sounds like you plan on staying for a while. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I just bought a rabbit and they live about five years. So <laughs> I guess I'm stuck. Um, yeah, so for me, um, I, I think a one, a one year plan, that, that seems so soon. It seems really soon, one year. Um, my one year goal, I would like to, I would like to have my, my band performing more often and, and bigger shows. Okay. Um, uh, and in terms of my professional life, like I said, I'd, I'd like to be working in a, in a bilingual or international school. Um, and I think now I've been here a couple of years. I've taught at a lot of different places for a lot of different age groups. And I, I have a good idea now of, of the things that I enjoy and the things That's that I don't enjoy. The kindergarten or the little bit older age seven to nine is your favorite right now yeah i wonder why that is like do you know why that is i i feel i feel very um i just i just feel very energized by them always especially with kindergarten even the naughtiest kindergarten class like just just like terrible terrible behavior like i i, I kind of buy into it and my energy sort of flows with them and it's about they're a lot easier to win over than like moody teenagers. Are there any specific differences of teaching like English in Vietnam and teaching English in Germany? Hmm. Um, most English teaching here is geared towards children. Okay, I mean, that's another big reason that I'm not working um, with. I mean, I do work with adults at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's um, if if I wanted to do that, then it's more going down the the, the, the testing route. Okay, it's, it's more about like like the IELTS exam. Um, I'm happy doing it now, but it's it, I, I wouldn't want to be like an IELTS examiner for, for the rest of my life. It, I I find it quite <clears throat> I don't find it very interesting to, okay. to just teach like how to how to get a mark on this exam. Right. You know, I want I want to like equip people with, with like tools for the future and motivate them to, to go out there and see the world. Um, <clears throat> so that's why I, I enjoy teaching young adults and I enjoy I enjoy teaching children. I just I don't particularly enjoy teaching for tests. I guess that's the short answer there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see that, but I think with your qualifications, linguistic background. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 
I would assume, and I could be wrong, that getting a job at one of the international schools, you're a, you're a good candidate for that position. Yeah. yeah. Are, those, are those jobs, once people get them, they don't want to give them up? Uh, there are those kind of jobs. So I, I, I have worked that kind of job. I did a sort of, uh, I guess, like, succumbed, um, like a short period um, at, uh, in a secondary school. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm a linguist and I was teaching literature. I was, I was, I was reading Shakespeare and, and I, that's, that's not where my interests lie at all. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I, I like reading in my own time. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not very interested in, um, in, in, in sort of teaching academia okay. in that sense. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, I feel, I feel much more comfortable in, in an ESL role. Okay. And I, I also see the potential of, of moving up in that industry here. Okay. I, I don't feel like it's a limited industry that it is potentially in, in some other parts of the world. I want to know, you've, you've talked about your band a couple of times now, so I want to like ask a few questions about the music. Mm-hmm. What's the name of your band? <laughs> So as I told you, we uh, the house here is is like a mansion, and um, two of my uh, two of my house housemates are in the band. So we are the mansion family. Ah, wait, is that Mancurian? Wait, what? Say it again. <laughs> it's the mansion family. Oh, the man- so this has nothing to do with Manchester. Okay, the mansion family. Yeah, oh, because we man- live because we live in a mansion. <laughs> And it yeah, sounds like man, people. yeah. It sounds like the Manson family. That's that's good, dude. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, are the other are the other members of the band? Are they also ex- expats? Yes, uh, we have one Australian and two other Brits in the band. Okay, mm. okay, dude, that's exciting. And it looks yeah. like it looks like that's something that gives you really a lot of joy, like you know, in 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 staying there. It is, yeah. I don't know if you. I don't know if you remember in my closing days in, in Dessau, I got involved. Oh, big shout out to the homies and homies, if any of them are listening. Do you remember the homies and homies? I remember, like, I I think I saw you play once. I think I, right before you left. Mm. Um, so there was a project organized by my friend Samreen, who was studying at the Bauhaus University. And she, she basically grouped together some... Uh, international musicians mm-hmm. we had we had me as a, a british guy we had an iranian a south korean a pakistani indian a couple of um nigerians and, um, do you remember and, the, the nigerian's name uh there was uh teo okay. he, he he performs as uh two tipsy that's right two tipsy he was our first yeah. <laughs> he was he's the first person we interviewed Oh, great. Yeah, you'll, have che- you'll, you'll have to check out his episode. Yeah, big shout out to Two Tipsy. Um, I know he's like continued the project. So I'll explain a little bit for the, for the listeners um, that Homies and Homies started as a, um, a collaboration between the international musicians and um, members of a, a old person's residency. residency home. Right. Um, most, of them, most of them have Alzheimer's. Um, or other similar diseases, dementia, right. um, and and music was just a wonderful healing tool for them. Okay. And at the end of at the end of our uh, of the project, we did a performance at, at the Bauhaus um, for the graduation ceremony for, mm-hmm. the, for the university. Um, and that for me was a it was a real like oh I, I really need to play more music and wherever I go next I need to start doing music immediately. Hence the Mansion family. Hence the Mansion family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 taken a couple of years to get here. Um, I, I've definitely got I've become like a better musician since since being here. I spent a long time living here, going to a lot of gigs, meeting people who were much much better musicians than me, and being like, oh god, it's going to take me forever to get there. So how? <clears throat> Is the Vietnamese like punk genre? Is it is it happening at the moment? Like you have a fan base? 
it's still pretty small. Um, so so far, we've been we've just been performing every Friday night at a bar. We we started off as the house band. Okay. And now it's moving a little bit beyond that, and we're uh, we're starting to look at getting like small local festival gigs. That sort of thing. Interesting. Do you you have to send us a file so we can put it to the podcast, man? Seriously. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I've talked about it enough now. I have to. <laughs> So let's do the last question, dude. Um, the the John question. I hope John is still listening out there somewhere. I, his name is still there. Um, is there a special name they call you because you're from Manchester? Is there is there something like that's unique about the people that come from Manchester? Would you Would you like to do a mini quiz? A mini tangent quiz tangent. Is it going to make me look like an idiot? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm going to give you the nickname for someone from a specific UK city. You tell me which UK city you think it is. Oh, oh this is going to be horrible. Like okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Geordie. No idea. John? Wait, what was back that? In. Jordi. John's back in. Geordie. Jordi, Jordi, you are from. Uh, do I have no idea? From you're gonna make. <laughs> I'm gonna look like an idiot. I know I'm gonna look like an idiot. Okay. Right, give me, give me an easy one. Give me an easy one. Uh, there are no Ouija. Yeah, like you should say, like southerner. I'd say, like from the south, northerner from the north, like Newcastle. Uh, okay, Newcastle. Oh, Newcastle. See, John knows this stuff. So Newcastle is Geordie. That was the last one. Ah, uh, Newcastle is Geordie. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, Ouija comes from Glaswegian. Okay. So Glasgow. Glasgow. Scouser? Scouser. I have a feeling these are like football fanatics and they, and they, they fight. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, That's a clue. Scouser. Liverpool. Yes. Liverpool. No idea. I know that Morrissey is from Manchester, man, and that's the most important thing I need to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, 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 someone from Manchester is uh, called a Mancunian. Okay, pronounce that slower for our listeners. Mancunian. Mancunian. Yes. Like a mannequin. Uh, you could say that. Okay, and explain wh why is that? Why Why are we Mancunians? Yeah, why are you Mancunians? Uh, Who do you not like? Everybody? No, uh, I guess there's a rivalry with the, with the Scousers, with, with Liverpool. Okay. But, um, ultimately, we're, we're, we're both part of the, the northwest of England, and our cultural heritage is uh, closely tied to one another. And mm -hmm. it's London that we all hate. Idiom a day keeps the doctor away. Let's talk idioms. Alex, uh, today you've, we'd like to extend an invitation to you for you to participate in our, our idiom section of our podcast episode. Yes, please. I'm excited. Can I'm you, would you, do you have time to participate? Yes. Just a, quick, just a quick hello from me, Alex. How are you? It's John. Hello, John. I'm very well, and thank you. How are you doing? John is joining us. That's... Our idiom master. Good evening from Vietnam. So, Alex, what's your idiom? You've have you got one for us or um... an English idiom? Yes. My English idiom is: even a broken clock is correct twice a day. Oh, very think, nice. You know, what? Would I don't. You like me to elaborate? Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Like, how do you use that? In what context? Uh, it, it means that even if even if someone is uh, potentially foolish or stupid or makes terrible decisions, that every once in a while they'll make a good one. I guess they're right two times a day. Yeah. <laughs> so every once in a while they uh, could say something that's not so stupid or um, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So when would be an appropriate time to, to, to use this? Can you give us an example? I, I, can give you, I can give you an example associated with my house. Okay. And chickens. So I have a housemate. 
is actually my, my, my German housemate here, it's called Max. And a few months ago, he decided it was a great idea to buy chickens, keep them in our garden. And so far, it's been an unmitigated disaster. Is that for goon? <laughs> uh, it's ga. Ga. Down tone. Okay, ga. okay, okay. It's a down tone. Um, That's ex John in Vietnamese. <laughs> oh, okay. No. Oh, I see. Oh, 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 oh. Chung is. Ah, oh, that's right. Chung. Is it, yeah. Did he buy the chickens for Chung? That was the plan. Okay. Um, but so far, it's not been going very well. Three of the four chickens have died. Uh oh. And, oh. and Max suggested the other day that maybe they have died because their chicken house is inadequately covered and doesn't <laughs> protect them against the weather. And me wanting to make out like Max is a bit of an idiot and says and does a lot of stupid things, could I could respond to that by saying, well, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So uh, Max acknowledging that uh, he had a bad idea was him actually being right. <laughs> yeah, you could say that, yeah. That, that was his moment, that was his moment of uh, not being silly. I, I, would say, I would say more it's that he has a lot of suggestions for how to make the chicken house work, and usually they're terrible. But this one, actually protect the chickens against the, the weather was a, was a good idea. Okay. Yeah, well, from, from one chicken owner to another, we, we also have chickens. I mean, in Germany, we have to insulate them quite well and we have to protect them from foxes at night. So mm. do, are there animals you've got to protect them from? Uh, we have, I mean, we have some cats walking around the garden sometimes. Uh, we have, um, in theory, there are snakes around here, although I don't know if any of them are big enough in the city to attack or maim a chicken. Um, but it does get quite cold in the winter. Okay. So I've actually got an example for even a broken clock. Um, um, what was the second part? Even a broken clock is right, is, is right twice a day. Yeah. Is right twice a day. Yeah, I've got an example. Um, you know, uh, between us and the office, Scott. Okay. Uh, because uh, you've had lots of uh, interesting ideas in the past, which uh, I thought weren't uh, all that uh, <laughs> great. But when you came up with the idea of the podcast, I thought that was that's actually a good idea, and I'll support that one. So in this case, I'd say yeah, I'd say to you, Scott, even an even an old clock works <laughs> right twice in a day. In this case, I think you've got the podcast idea right. No, I hopefully I'm right more than twice a day. But no, that's a good example, John. You're right. <laughs> well, well, the twice a day is only sort of metaphoric. So I'd say uh, perhaps we could the day could be the period of time, Scott. I mean. If you get something right every now and again. Two times in the four years that I've been here. Yeah, that's good. Good hit, right? Say a couple, I'd say a couple more than twice, but. <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. That's actually, that, that's, that's a really nice way to end it. Um, yeah, Alex, that's a, that's a fantastic idiom. And I, and I didn't know about that idiom. So I think I will look for ways to uh, teach that to the students and to use it myself. Ooh, yeah, I've never, I've never used it myself either, but um, yeah, I might uh, put it into practice. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, that was, that was very nice.
Verdade. Uh.